0: Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, so Stanford University has done a lot of studies on the power of a mother's voice. They've studied a mother's voice and the psychological connection it makes with children in particular. One such study, they, they took 50 women's voices and they all recorded 50 different women saying the exact same thing. And then they took participants together and they said, hey, out of these 50 women, can you identify your own mother's voice? How many do you think you could do this? Yeah, so I asked my good friend Melissa Esposito, actually, to, to reach out to a number of women that she knows, and then I haven't, I haven't heard my mom's voice in over, about a year. She, she died about nine months ago. Um, she wasn't able to speak the last several months of her life. The last time I heard my mom's voice was last March, and all she could say was, I love you. She just repeated it constantly. Everyone every she came in contact with, I love you, I love you, I love you. But I was able to save a number of her voice recordings. Uh, voicemails throughout the years. And so I sent one to my friend Melissa and she was able to put together a number of other women saying, so we're going to test this. I haven't heard this yet. We're going to test this out and see if I can do this. So I can identify my mom's voice. I think she's saying, um, Hey Ross, we're playing phone tag. I think is what she's saying. So here we go. Hey Ross we, nope. hey Ross, we keep playing phone tag. 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 Sure. Hey Ross, we keep playing phone tag. Um, That's my mom. Hey Ross, we keep playing phone tag. 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 Hey Ross, we keep playing phone tag hey Ross we keep playing phone tag hey Ross we keep playing phone tag hey Ross we keep playing phone tag yeah confidently 100% I can tell you which one was my mother and here's here's what they learned inside of the study every single person was able to identify their mom's voice is that interesting Every single person could identify their mom's voice, and they kept increasing the amount of people that they added to the pool. Started with 10, added to 25, added to 50. Eventually, they got up to 100 people. You could still identify your mother's voice. Why? Because there is a psychological connection to our mom's voice made in utero. While in our mother's womb, a single voice reverberates through our existence, and a psychological bond is formed with our mother's voice. Similarly, ancient rabbis understood that God's voice spoke creation into being and his voice, God's voice is still reverberating through creation, creating a psychological bond to our creator. Or in other words, God is not far away. God is near us. He's not off in the distance, he's not out in the universe, he's not beyond the sea, he's not on some mountaintop that is far away and hard to access. God is near us. He is with us. God is close to everyone and he is speaking to each of us, trying to get our attention. There are several reasons why God's voice is hard to hear and discern, but I want to mention two of them this morning as we continue our series, Jesus for Grown Ups, by looking at the prayer of Jesus. First, when we look at ancient examples of prayer in scripture, what you find is that they're very organic and very conversational. The way that the the ancients, the scripture writers prayed was very conversational. The Psalms, really, they're just written prayers, right? They're put to music, but their prayer is written to God. And sometimes these people are frustrated, sometimes they're hurt, sometimes they're exuberant, and they're celebrating what God has accomplished. But these are just written prayers to God, and they're set to music in the Psalms. The psalmists would question God's intention and his ability when life didn't make sense. You guys ever experienced that before? Life isn't making sense, so I'm going to question God's ability, right? That was something that the psalms did often. They yelled at God when life didn't seem just. Anybody ever yelled at God in in the unfairness of life? Yeah, psalmists did that too. They cried to God when they were hurt. They praised God and they gave him thanks when life was full of blessing. They were honest with God about what they were experiencing. Here's my experience in life. Here's what I'm up against. Here are my circumstances. God, I'm going to let you know about it. Here's how I'm feeling. I'm going to let you know about him. Very honest with God. And their prayer was very conversational because it reflected a very simple but profound fact. We're in a relationship. This is a relationship. It was like a son talking to his wise father about living in a crooked world and the father is simply helping his son navigate it. The father would offer advice, maybe sternly at times. Any of you fathers ever had to offer stern advice to your children? The father would warn his child about the pitfalls of living wrongly. The father would celebrate when life worked the way it was supposed to. And there were times when the father would have to tell his son to stop talking and get to work. Stop talking and begin moving. I love in the story of the Exodus when the the people are, are looking at the sea and God says, Why are you crying out to me? Start moving. Sometimes God has to do that too. Compare this relational conversational prayer of the Israelites to the contractual legally obligating prayers of the pagans. This is a prayer offered by a man named Cato, the elder, in roughly 300 BC. He was a Roman. Father Mars, I pray and beseech thee thou, that thou be gracious and merciful to me, my house and my household, to which intent I have bidden this... Super, that's, that's a really fancy word for sacrifice. To be led around my land, my ground, my farm, that thou keep away, ward off and remove sickness, seen and unseen, barrenness and destruction, ruin and unseasonable influence. And that thou permit my harvest, my grain, my vineyards and my plantations to flourish and to come to good issue. Preserve in health my shepherds and my flocks and give good health and strength to me, my house and my household. To this intent to the intent of purifying my farm, my land and my ground, and and making an expiation, as I have said, deign to accept the offering of these suckling victims, Father Mars, to the same intent deign to accept the offering of these suckling offering. Pagan prayers were phrased like legal documents. And some of you, if you're just honest with with yourself for a second, maybe some of your prayers to God are phrased like legal documents as well. They obligated the deities to particular actions. The gods were the landlords. They weren't concerned about caring for people. They didn't love the people. They were they were concerned about what they got. This was a business transaction. And the disposition of the gods towards humans was negative. Right? Humans were a burden. Humans were an annoyance. But they needed humans to work the earth and to offer sacrifices so they could eat. And so the gods kept humanity around. So what you'll often find in ancient pagan prayers is these long list of deities' names and attributes to begin their prayers. They had to puff the deities up because the deities were insecure, and so they had to make the deities feel good about themselves so the deities would then be favorable to them. But when Jesus begins teaching his disciples about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he tells them to simply approach God humbly and simply See, the pagans used a lot of flattery because the gods, again, were insecure. But God isn't insecure. And so recognize who God is. Recognize who God is, that he is your father. And get on with your prayer. The pagans had to include a plea for every situation and every angle because in their legally binding prayers, if they forgot something, then the the gods had a loophole. And the gods weren't obligated to treat them respectfully or to treat them favorably or to treat them honorably. The gods are greedy. They're selfish landlords. And so they're going to take advantage of humans if humans are going to let them be taken advantage of. But our Heavenly Father isn't like that. He's caring and he's loving. He's a loving Father, desiring our best. And he already knows the matters of our heart before we even bring them to him. And this way, aren't we all kind of like children approaching a loving Father? Pagan Pray prayers were set in the courtroom the gods were the judge and you'd approach them cowering trying to plead your case as convincingly as possible Hoping that the gods would be favorable towards you Now, I don't know what your relationship with your heavenly father is like And so I get that viewing god as a loving heavenly father may be challenging for some of you But but imagine like, you know god is is a heavenly father and he's sitting at his desk He's paying the bills right? He's, he's managing the household He's Lord over the household. He's being responsible to care for the household. He's taking care of the matters. He's establishing a system where the household can function properly and being responsible to create an environment where peace and security can be the norm for the people who exist within the household. And you, you know, you're the child in this situation. You approach him with whatever is on your heart and whatever is on your mind and whatever the world is throwing at you and whatever is concerning you in that day. Your dad already knows, right, because he's your friend on Facebook and he follows you on Instagram and... Snapchat and Twitter and TikTok and you know, he's, see, he's seen your world. He's seen what you're going through He knows what's happening. It's not like he's oblivious And you simply approach him and you say hey dad Hey dad, can we talk? Dad, I got a lot on my heart I got a lot on my mind. I got a lot going on in life. Can we talk about it? And his response isn't to be annoyed like sometimes when i'm paying the bills in our household and my kids and interrupt me i'm like dude give me five minutes that's not like our God, right? God says, he's not annoyed, right? He doesn't say, come on, man. I don't, I don't got time for you right now. I got too much on my plate. I got too much going on. I don't have time for you. That's not what our God is like. He's not annoyed that we're interrupting his work. He's not annoyed that we're bothering him or that we should be in bed at this late hour. But no, he stops what he's doing. And he turns and he says, hey, let's talk about it. Hey, what's going on? And a conversation begins where... You're open to receiving all that the Father has to pour into you, and you're honest, you're honest, you're honest. And that's a big part about our prayer, right? We're honest about what we're experiencing, about what we're dealing with. You see, Jesus predicates effective prayer on a relationship of intimacy and honesty, not a business transaction. But for a moment, consider the nature of communication, Consider the nature of conversation. Consider the nature of relationship. When we're in discussion with another, we're not always talking, nor are we always listening. right? Relationships require both deliberate speaking and active listening. And some of you are like, I've never experienced that before. Some of your marriages have never experienced this before. Some of your friendships have never experienced this before. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. But think about your prayer life. Isn't it odd that when we think of prayer, who is the only one talking? We are, isn't it? Aren't we the ones who are always talking to God? Prayer is us telling God something, not listening to what He is saying to us. Mother Teresa was once asked in an interview. Um, <clears throat> she said, uh, this, this interviewer came to her and, and said, Hey, Mother Teresa, you, you have such a vibrant prayer life, right? You're a devoted follower of Jesus. What do you say when you pray? And she turned to him and she said, You know what? I don't say anything when I pray, I listen. She said, oh, that's interesting. So so then what does God say? And she said, God doesn't say anything. He listens. And I'm not entirely sure what that means, but like it's fascinating, isn't it? That listening is kind of the substance of her prayer life. And the reason we don't know the voice of God is because we're not listening for it. We're, We're not accustomed to listening For the voice of God and so so often we just have no idea what God is trying to say We have no idea how God is trying to get our attention Maybe the reason there is a psychological bond with our mother's voice is because for the first nine months of our existence We can't talk back (laughs) And it's only one voice that's reverberating through our existence and we don't have an opportunity to talk back So all we can do is listen So my first suggestion for a more vibrant prayer life is to stop talking and to start listening. I get the challenge of this because our minds are cluttered, so it may take some intentional choices to turn off the radio, to mute the boxer, to sit in silence and let your heart speak instead of your mouth. Jesus said that when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So my encouragement to you for a more vibrant prayer life is maybe just to come silently before God and sit in that silence And it's going to take some discipline and it's going to take some hard work and it's going to be challenging at first But come before God and sit in that silence My second suggestion is to turn your face to God and look him in the eyes When you're communicating with him I'm gonna bite my my dear wife emily forward for a second She doesn't really know that i'm doing this and so bear bear with us as we uh Hey, Em. Yep. So, you know, we we converse a lot, you and I. Yep. In our house, right? We talk a lot. How? How? So, just imagine when we're talking, right? Sometimes, sometimes we're talking. <coughs> sometimes we're talking. I don't know. I didn't fill in the huggy all the time, but thank you. Um, sometimes we're talking, and I'm like, oh. yep. you, guys, you guys ever experienced that before? Huh. How does that, that make you feel when sometimes we're having a nice conversation? Sitting at the dinner table, and I'm like, oh, I wonder it's how It's not the at the dinner table, because no, phones not, aren't, allowed, no. aren't allowed at the dinner table. Okay, so you know we're we're in a conversation, I'm like, yeah. oh, I wonder what the twins did last night. call okay. it being fubbed. Yeah, we call it fubbed, right? I'm being fubbed. How does that make you feel when that happens? Like, cool. Thanks, Ross. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you just went somewhere. I just went somewhere else, right? Right. I'm the, like, what are you doing? Who's does, that? What's going make, on? Does it make you feel valued? No. How about this? So, so we're having a conversation and we're chatting, we're looking at each other in the eyes and we're talking face to face. Oh, and then there's a squirrel. Okay. Squirrel over here. And I start doing something else over here and we're still chatting, but like, you know, we're, the conversation is still kind of going on. You guys have experienced before before. Conversation is still kind of going on, but I'm kind of, I don't know, something more interesting over here. How does that make you feel when there's something more interesting than you in the middle of a conversation? Yeah. Pretty sad. Pretty, pretty bad. Sure. No, yeah. so I'm the only one who's ever like ditching the conversation. I'm sure no, it does perfectly a little bit here, but that's not true. Um, I'm thinking what, more that there's like a five year old about this high yelling in okay, the middle sure. of us trying to complete our okay. sentences. Yeah, that and that's to like you a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What 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 if I just straight up turn my back on you? Yeah, Like and of okay. walking away. That doesn't feel good either, does it? No. No. So like conversation validates you. Mm-hmm. Right? Eye contact. Eye contact validates you. Quiet, like listening, not just talking yeah, back at me. Yeah, great, right. Intentional listening, right? Deliberate listening. Active speaking. Like saying something that acknowledges that you heard what I said. Yeah, that's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are all things we learned in, like, first grade, but we tend to forget them as we grow into adulthood. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't feel good when people turn their back on you. No. It doesn't feel good when people walk away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel good when they abandon the conversation. The fubbing is the actually the fubbing, the, worst. the fubbing is hard. Yeah. Oh, no. You can put that away. Oh, okay. Thank I you so think, much. Yeah. Yeah. You're not done yet. I'm going to call you back later. You guys have experienced that though, right? In your relationships, you've experienced that. You've experienced it. It's disrespectful. It's not honoring to pretend you care when you actually don't. We can choose to remove distractions. I don't have to pick up my phone. I don't have to be distracted by other things. I can give my full attention to Emily. We can choose to be present and and to listen actively. But the reason we don't is because we have other priorities. The reason we don't is because the phone and that moment is more important. The reason we don't is because what's on your heart and your mind is less important than whatever else is going on. It reveals that this relationship isn't actually my priority, that there are more important things than when, when, when Emily and I are in a conversation and I turn to my phone in the middle of it or I turn to do something else, that my priority is taken away from her. The relationship is no longer what's most important. It reveals that the relationship is not the priority. Recently, <clears throat> I had to confess this actually to my son, Ethan. I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and here's, the, here's our text, and right? I'm going to read this to you because it's so small, but um, I woke up in the middle of the night with a heart of conviction. It was like 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, oh, dude, I sucked as a dad last night. I just I didn't do it well like I I didn't I didn't well because my son Ethan he plugs all of his devices into our room at night and so he came in and he always wants to decompress for like 30 minutes um but I realized <clears throat> well sometimes it's 30 sometimes it's 30 okay it might be 5 minutes but it feels like 30 <clears throat> I love Ethan and, and I have a responsible as, responsibility as a father, and we, and you know, as his mother, Emily, like we, to, to form him and to raise him. And so, how often, as a 14 year old, do we have 10 minutes to process our son's day with him? He comes in wanting to talk about his life. And both of us are just sitting there on our phones. And we did not even look up at him. And so I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well, I didn't even look up from my phone to acknowledge that my son came into the room. And he was like, okay, guys, see you later. I love you. Good night. And he just walked away. And so I, 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 wrote, him, I wrote him this text. I said, hey, bud, I woke up in the night and realized I need to apologize to you. When you came in last night to plug in and say good night, I don't think I even looked up from my phone, and it wasn't the first time. I am sorry. I don't see you enough in the day to dismiss opportunities to process life with you. I'll do better. We love you very much. I got the impression you had a long, maybe rough day yesterday, and I should have been there for you. I'm sorry. I hope the day is going well. And so it wasn't just like a normal day either, right? There was a sense about me as his father that he was having a rough and a hard day, and I just, I don't care. My phone was my priority. It was more important to him. And he th- he's so gracious. You know, he says, it's okay. I'm more surprised that you woke up because of that. <laughs> and I said, well, it was one of many train of thoughts I had while awake. And he said, oh, okay. I said, I never want you to feel like we're dism that we are dismissed, that you, let's see. I never want you to feel like you were dismissed and not given the attention you deserve by the people responsible to form you. I always say that if you're doing it, you're prioritizing it. If you're doing it, it's because that's what's most important in that moment. And I hope you never think, oh, can you go back to that? Because, you know. Um, and I hope you never think that the phone is more important than you, so it's something we need to work on. If you're doing it, thanks Tim, if you're doing it, you're prioritizing it. It's what's most important to you. Okay, but, but how do I face God, right, and look him in the eye? That seems odd when we're speaking of God. And so first, you have to realize that we have all turned our back on God. It's something that all of us have done. We've turned our back on him. First, you have to realize that, and this is true of all of us because it is a direct consequence of being a sinner. It is what sin has done to each of us. We have turned our back on God. Sin is about establishing and manifesting my own self-kingdom. It's about my self-promotion and my self-protection and my self-gratification. And each time our focus is on ourselves and what we can get, then we're not focused on others. And we're not focused on other suffering. We're not, suff- we're not focused on how others are going out, going without. We're not focused on how other people are experiencing this world. When we are so self-consumed that it's all about us, all about us, all about us, then I don't know what's going on in your life. Nor do I care what's going on in your life. So sin rejects God's ways of justice and self-sacrificial love. That's what sin does. It says, you know what? My intent, my interest isn't to self-sacrificially love you, My intent and my interest is not to promote justice so that your life is better and improve. My life is all about me. It turns our backs on his ways as we pursue our own ways. Here's what Isaiah said regarding this. He said, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so for the next 10 verses of Isaiah 59, he's going to lay out all of the sins and all the things that the Israelites have done. And then he's going to conclude by saying this. For our offenses are many in your sight and your, our sins testify against us. Our offenses are, eat, are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, we have turned our backs on our God. Our prayer is directly impacted by our sin. In other words, earlier on when God is describing the unjust, unloving ways of the Israelites, he says this When you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm gonna hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. I will not hear the prayers of those who are interested in, who, those who aren't interested in my ways. Not because I don't care about you, but because you have your backs to me. And so it's like we're in this conversation, we're in this relationship, and I'm here, and I'm interested, and I want to know what's going on in your life, and I want to be in relationship with you, but we're like, you know, God, hey God, where are you, God? And we cry out to God, and we're not even looking at God. We're not even interested in God's ways. Our backs are turned to God, and we're shouting in the wrong direction. We're trying to be in relationship with our back's turned to the one who loves us. And how does that make them feel? Not good. We addressed that already. God would say, guys, I'm not a vending machine. God would say that you can't come and just insert your prayers and expect to get whatever you ask for. I'm not a genie in a bottle that you could just come and rub and expect me to come out of my little tiny prison that you put me in. Like we can God to this little tiny thing and then we expect him to do enormous things for us. And God is like, guys, I'm not a genie in a bottle. I'm not a vending machine. That's not a relationship. God is love and God created us so that his love would reverberate through our existence. But we have rejected that love as we have gone our own way. We have turned our backs on God and we have walked away from him. See, prayer is about relationships. But when we are living in our sin, right, we're not interested in a relationship with God because our backs are turned to him. We've walked our own way. So before we move into unpacking Jesus' prayer, I want to pause and just allow you to take an inventory of your prayer life. In your prayer, do you allow God to speak? And are you listening? Or are you the only one talking in this relationship? And secondly, is your life pursuing the God who is love, or are your selfish ways keeping your back turned to God? Keep all this in mind as we look at the prayer of Jesus taught his followers to pray this morning. How many of you have memorized the Lord's Prayer? All right, so many of us have, even, even if, I mean, so people who aren't even Christians who don't go to church have this prayer memorized. How many of you memorized it because somebody early on told you that you ought to, right? A lot of us, right? We had a teacher or somebody who said, hey, this is a valuable prayer. You've got to memorize it. Most of us could still recite it probably. High school football teams rattle this prayer off before games. Maybe you said this prayer every night at dinner. Maybe you said it every night at bedtime. Maybe you said it every week at church, but maybe you've experienced this. When prayer becomes rote and recitable and ritualized and religionized, It fails to be authentic, it fails to be intimate, and it fails to be meaningful. So, Emily, come on back up here. (coughs) No, you don't need it, there. So, early on in our relationship, you know, like, we've been married 19 years. Can you believe that? Wow. This summer, it'll be 19. 18 and a half years. Okay, so... (coughs) Early on like we we would come right we were so in love and I'd be like hey Emily I would look at her and I say Emily <laughs> I love you you're so beautiful mm-hmm. thanks babe I'm so thankful for all that you do mm-hmm. And then day 2 would come along and be like Emily I love you mm-hmm. you're so beautiful your- I'm so <laughs> thankful I'm I'm going to get there after day 3 okay <laughs> And then and then day 10 comes along I'm like hey Emily hey what up girl you're ten. Uh, day, day, Year 10. Year 10 comes along, right? We're 10 years into this. And I'm like, oh, Emily, I love you. You're beautiful. Thanks for all that you do, right? And it gets a little less and less intimate, a little less and less authentic. And eventually I'm like, oh, yeah, see you, em. Okay, yeah, yeah, love you too. Okay, goodbye. Or or we come to her and we're like, yeah, I love you. Yeah, I'm thankful for you, yeah. And just kind of, okay, you can go. Thank you, thank you. That's all that's I want to say. <laughs> I like putting her in awkward situations. It's important too. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, it's funny how that works though, right? Like time, after it's recited day after day, recitable and, and wrote and ritualized and religionized, it just gets a little less authentic, a little less intimate and a little less meaningful. But Jesus comes along and he says, our father in heaven, he's not a vending machine. He's, he's not a genie in a bottle. He's not our lawyer. He's not our babysitter. He is not our boss. He is not our landlord. He is our heavenly father. I don't need to come before you cowering in fear and trepidation, thinking that you're going to throw a lightning bolt at me because I believe that you love me. You are a father who is concerned with my well-being, and I believe that. I believe that you care for me. I believe that you are for me. I believe that you want my best. I believe that you are here for me. I believe that you are on my side. I believe that you want to be in a relationship with me. And so may your name, as I acknowledge who you are, may your name be honored and revered and defended and kept separate from all the other common things, because you're not like all the other common things. May your name be holy, hallowed. Or as the translation says, hallowed be your name. And I encounter a broken world every single day. And, and not only is the world broken, but I admit and I recognize that I am deeply broken. And I confess that I have gone my own way. And I confess that my will has won. And that I'm more interested in getting my own will and my own way. And I admit that I've established my own selfish kingdom. I've built my own throne and it's done a lot of damage and it's caused a lot of suffering. And I admit, Lord, that there are some things in this world that I love more than you. Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and I repent. Or, as the text says, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ever recognize this, but this is a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of acknowledgment that God, I have built my own kingdom, I have gone my own way, I have done my own will, and now God I am coming before you saying it's not working. It's leading to suffering, and it's leading to distraction, and it's leading to destruction, and it's leading to death. And so God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, and in my life, and in my household, and in my family, and in my community, and in my job. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Repentance is not only confessing our sin, but it's turning from it and committing then to change our ways as we walk in a new direction. This is a prayer of turning back around to face God. I acknowledge, God, that I've, I've you know, you've called me into relationship with you, but I've had my back toward tor- turned to you. And so I'm turning around and now I'm going to be in a relationship with God now. That is what repentance means. It's a prayer of turning back around. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a desire welling up from within us to align our heart and our mind and our will with God's heart and mind and will. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about my selfish established kingdom. It's not my way, not my will, Father, your will, your way, your kingdom on earth in my life, in my action, just as it is in heaven. And as I turn back to the Lord, as I repent, as I humble myself and confess my sin and seek the Lord's face and become eager to hear his voice, then then God will show himself to be a provider we we say, may you give us today our daily bread, right? God will show himself to be our provider and, and he will forgive us and he will then empower our forgiveness of others so that we can be gracious to others because we have we have been set free from an enormous debt. And so we have this bucket of grace to hand out and to pour out upon others. Now that God will prove himself to be our guide. God will direct our paths when we turn our hearts towards him. And God then will protect us as we turn our hearts towards Him. And, and the reason I say that this is all, these these are all, this, you know, from daily bread on down below. These are things that happen. These are gifts that God gives us. These are His blessings upon us. This is what happens when you're in relationship with God. This is a prayer of repentance. This is calling God, saying, "I have turned away from You, God, and now I'm coming back." I confess my sin and now I'm coming back, God, and now I'm going to pour out the blessings of providence and I'm going to pour out the blessings of forgiveness and I'm going to pour out the blessing of of guidance and of protection over your life when you are in an authentic, intimate relationship with me. And the reason I I say this is because Jesus is modeling this prayer off, again, a portion of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58. And Isaiah 58 is declaring how the Israelites had abandoned God to go their own way, but they kept... Coming to offer him lip service. That's all they were doing. They lived a sinful, rebellious lifestyle, but they still offered their sacrifice and they still offered their prayers, but it never changed their ways. They never repented. They never actually cared about being in a relationship with God. They only cared about themselves. And so it's here in Isaiah 58, God begins to discuss What being in a relationship with him, a repentant relationship with him means, and then the blessings that will overflow. He says this, day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed... Then the lord will provide your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear Then your righteousness will go before you Then the lord will guide you always and the glory of the lord will be your rear guard then You will call And the lord will answer You will cry for help And he will say, here I am. And so let's be honest for just a second. Most of our prayers are about our needs, aren't they? We go to God when life isn't working well. We ask for God to intervene when things are painful or stress-inducing. And that's important and that's good. But Jesus says, guys, God already knows all that. God already knows what's going on in your heart and in your life and in your mind. Your prayer should be about the, the alignment of your heart to God's heart. Your prayer should be about acknowledging where you've gone astray, confessing and committing to come back, and listening to God is a big part in helping you realize where you've gone astray. God is going to convict you of it when you sit in silence before him. He'll gently point it out, and he will call you to turn around to be in a loving relationship with him where he can pour out his blessings upon your life. I want to invite the band forward. We're going to sing a song as we conclude our time together today. You know that Jesus went away by himself all the time to pray? All the time he was going away to pray constantly, to keep his heart aligned. Jesus had never sinned, so he never had to realign his heart to God's heart, but it was a it was a constant cry to have his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength aligned with the heart of God. There's a revival going on in Kentucky right now. And <clears throat> what everyone's saying about this revival, and I really encourage you to go, you know, watch the videos or read articles about it because it's really inspiring. It's inc- it's incredible what the Holy Spirit is doing. It started with confession. It, it, it started with a, with a small group of people who are just adm- admitting their sins and confessing their sins to one another. They talked about how they had walked and gone astray, and how and how they weren't living rightly with God, and how they wanted to repent, and they needed this community around them, and. And then they just started worshiping and acknowledging who God is. And then other people began to join them. And for 10 days, they have not stopped worshiping and confessing their sins. And the people who go to this revival, they talk about how when you walk in, you feel the weight of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord. That's what glory means. The weight of the Lord is physically upon that chapel and it's spreading to other churches and it's spreading to other communities in the area as well. But God is up to something in our nation. But God cannot break forth into an individual's life. He cannot break forth into a community if our hearts are unwilling to bend back towards him. And if we're going to remain at war because we've established our own kingdom and we're not willing to lay down our arms and to surrender, then God can do nothing. And so my heart's prayer is that, God, I'm going to abdicate my throne. I'm leaving it. I don't want it anymore. I've gone my own way, God. I confess. I surrender. I've done things. I continue to do things that are not in line with who you are, God. I want to seek your face. I want to seek your holiness. And, And holiness isn't about legalism, and it's not about a list of rules on the wall that we need to conform to. It's about loving God and loving others and having that love being poured into us so that it might pour upon the world. And I want to receive this abundant life that Christ offers. And I can't, I can't desire that for you guys, but I desire it for myself. And, and I pray that this community would be known by our love, would be known by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to move mightily through us. And as we are a people who are confessing, not being met with condemnation and mo- not being met with ridicule or accusation or judgment, but as we confess our sins, that we are met with love and we are met with grace. And as we lay those down at the cross, then God would change us to live differently and rightly in this world. And so we, we are we're going to... I was talking to Emily about this. I kind of told her it was going to happen. But we want to we wanna start doing more just like intentional prayer and worship nights. Beyond the Sunday morning experience, we just invite people to come into this space and worship and to pray and to confess. And so we're going to be doing more of those. Not that we've... I think we've done like three in our history. So we're going to be doing more of those. I want to develop a prayer team as well. If, if, if prayer is something that you feel called to and you're like, man, I, I got to pray. We need to bathe our community in prayer and not just, you know, this region. We need to bathe this community in prayer. Then email me because we're starting a, a very intentional prayer team. I want to pray over every single seed every single Sunday morning. I want you to know that you are prayed for. And then I want to I want to walk through our neighborhoods and I want to pray on behalf of our people to, to confess that we have wandered from God. Not to mimic, you know, not to try to stir up revival, not to, not to try to manipulate God into coming near, but just to be authentic and to be honest and to come before God. See, you know what, God? I want your kingdom to come, but in order for that to happen, I need to acknowledge that I have already gotten a kingdom established. I want your will to be done, God, but I got to acknowledge that I'm doing a lot of my own thing over here. My heart's not aligned with you, and the heart of our community is not aligned with you. I want to start praying around the bridge, you know, this coffee shop that we're starting. We'll talk about more about the progress we made um, next week. But like, I want to, I want to walk that place. I want to, I want that place to be known as a house of prayer. And so, I, I, Tim's gonna throw my email address up here. If you want to join me in this, shoot me an email. And then we're going to organize it a little bit so that we have some structure on it. And we're going to begin praying more diligently, more earnestly, more passionately, more desperately for God.